0: And he became discontent with the state of spirituality in his church and in his city and just the state of things. And so he decided to take action. So in 1857, September 23rd exactly, he had planned to have a prayer meeting at lunch where he would invite businessmen on their lunch breaks to come pray. The first day he had spent weeks handing out flyers. He he went, you know, business to business all over the city, giving out flyers, inviting people to come to a prayer meeting. And it would tell them that when you come, you can pray for five minutes, 10 minutes, or stay the whole time, but just come and pray sometime in that hour. When the day came, he went up. It was in a, a small reformed Dutch church there in New York City on Fulton Street. And he went in there, he went up into the room and he began praying at 12 o'clock when it was supposed to be, and nobody else was there. About 15 minutes in, he heard some footsteps coming up. One person came in and sat down and spent some time praying. A few minutes later, somebody else came in. By the end of the hour, six people had shown up and spent the time praying. Now, if I organized something and that was the result, I'd probably cancel the next one. But he didn't. He came the next week. And the next week, 20 people showed up to pray. The following week, there were 40 Within a month, there were 3,000 people gathering to pray. It got so big, they had to go out of that room into another room. Then they had to meet in different rooms in the same church. As time went on, it expanded. Six months later, 10,000 businessmen were gathering to pray at lunch every week in New York City. But it spread. It didn't just start there. There was a, a businessman visiting from Philadelphia, and he went to one of these prayer meetings. He went to Philadelphia and started the same thing. Month after month, these prayer meetings were springing up in every city around the country, and a movement spread. Maybe you've heard of the Fulton Street Revival or the Third Great Awakening. In 1857 to 1859, they estimate that one million people gave their lives to Christ across this country, in a a country that at that point had 30 million people living in it. One million out of 30 million were saved. And as I read about what happened during that revival, it was amazing how one story, there was a man who was on his way to commit a murder and then kill himself. And he walked past one of these meetings and for some reason went in, got saved, gave his his life to Christ. There was other, I mean, many stories going on and on of people going in and praying for an individual who happened to be in the room at the moment. They get saved and lives are changed. Uh, On and on the stories would go. One person is quoted as saying, that what the people at that time didn't need was more teaching. They needed the power of God. And that resonated with me somewhat, that we need good teaching. We do. We need the clear teaching of the Word, but we also need the power of God. And and some of us are from more traditions where it's really all about the Bible, and and, and we're scared of the movement of the Spirit because of maybe some of the things that, that have the abuses that have happened there But they, at that time, they they let those things go. Interdenominational prayer meetings. It wasn't about one denomination or it wasn't about a church. It was people getting together and praying. They had to post rules basically to keep pastors out is what it looked like. But the rules were you can't talk more than five minutes. Um, You know, and if you, if you pray, there was just kind of certain things just to keep the boundaries there and they stuck to an hour and it changed the country. Now, why, why do I share that story? Because experts would agree that that was the last time this country saw a great move of God, 160 years ago. That's how long it's been since we've had a great move of God in this country. Now, there's been small ones. There's been little revivals that spring up here and there. There's been movements in certain cities. But at this time, entire cities were saved, entire towns that this would move to. The entire town would be saved. I mean, it was in the newspapers, this great revival But we haven't seen one in 160 years. Now, other countries have. This has happened in Africa, South America, Asia, China. These things have happened, but not here. And I I ask the question, why? And I don't think that's a fair question, because then we try and limit what God would do. We try and put boundaries on what God would do. We try and manipulate a movement. And so that's what's been pressing me on and on, is God has been stirring, at least in my heart, and I think in many of your hearts too, He wants to move. He's planning to move. You know, we want to see people saved. How much more does God want to see people saved? We want to see marriages thrive. How much more does He want to see marriages thrive? He wants what we want. We want to see God move. And so we're starting a series today And it's going to be going into Christmas Eve called When God Moves. When God Moves. And we're not going to be trying to find a way to manipulate God because we can't do that. But what we're going to do is we're going to look in Acts. And we're going to look at characteristics of God's people when God moves. Things that happen when God moves. Not so we can manipulate it, but so that we're ready should God choose to move. As I've been thinking about this and preparing, maybe you have lived here the last year like I have and you've seen all the things going on in this country mass murders church shootings this sexual revolution we're going through right now our our government in in such disarray and two sides so bipolar polarized that's the word (laughs) so polarized not bipolar (laughs) don't we need a move we need a move We need God to intervene. We need God to do something as I look at what's happening to this next generation of kids. You know, they had to start classes in in schools teaching kids how to love. I heard that this last week. They're having classes now teaching kids how to love, how to have relationships, because college age now, many don't know how. They weren't taught because they were raised by a cell phone or an iPad. And so we are in a spot where we can try and vote a solution, but that's not the way. <laughs> it's not going to be the Democratic Party, or the Republican Party, or the Libertarian Party that fixes us. The government's not going to do it. It's going to take Jesus Christ, and so we're going to look at the characteristics of when God moves. But for me, I, part of the what was on my heart as I started this is: do we do we want Him to move? Because I think that's one of the one of the saddest states across our country is that many Christians don't care if God moves at all. They don't care. As long as they're doing their church thing, they don't care if God moves at all. It was some years ago that I felt God really putting it on my heart as I looked at our kids and I looked at what was going on, that we needed to see God move. And uh, I was sitting down with a a table full of older Christian men uh, who had been around, and and I just shared with them this this vision, just this picture. I said, "I, I just picture being part of a group of Christians charging a hill for Christ. So in my mind, I had a picture of like a medieval battle. And so charging the hill, we gotta take the hill, not guns and stuff, but swords. So now you get the picture that I had. Um, but, but charging this hill, because you, as you see movements of God, what happens is people are attacked. So if we're going to move for God, the enemy is going to come at us and and he's going to use people in the world and sometimes people in the church to attack the movement, to attack his Christians. But so I said, here's this picture. What if we had a whole bunch of people going, not caring about their income as much, not caring about their, their status, not caring about what people think, but caring about Jesus, first of all, and then caring about people and just going. And so I said, here's this picture. We're running up the hill. And people are going, and, and people are losing limbs, and people are rolling back down and trying to crawl. But we're going because it's about Christ. And people are losing their lives. I said, I want to be there. I want to lead the charge. I want to just hold the flag and run up. And this group of, of men there just looked at me with blank faces. Like they had no idea what I was talking. And one said, okay, I want to be in the valley. And it just was like, I just... That's not, that's not God. Read the New Testament. That's not... That's not The church in the New Testament. The church in the New Testament is people ambitiously following Christ and God moving. And again, we can't manipulate a move. I want to make that point really, really clear. We're not going to be trying to find a formula to make God move, but we want to see what does it look like when God does move so that should he choose, we will be ready. I think it's important to look at one thing. We're going to be in Acts. So go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1. But when Jesus was here, When he talked about what he was going to do, did he talk about it in a passive way? He said this in Matthew 16, 18. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This has been a big verse for me over the past few years because it's him that builds this church, not a pastor, not a group, not an elder boy. He builds his church. But there was something else that just stuck out to me in the last month that I've never noticed before. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What are gates for? Keep to keep you out. Gates are defensive. So Jesus said, we're going to launch an offensive campaign against the enemy. So often in church, you know, and I've felt this way often, we want to be more passive about it. You know, and we do. We want to be loving. I'm not saying go be a jerk for Jesus. Oh, we, that's a club. We'll start that club. <laughs> jerks for Jesus. No, but, but what I'm saying... <laughs> Jesus intended an offensive campaign that would break down gates, that would go into enemy territory and save people. We've been studying Colossians. And what do we see in Colossians? Where he said, Jesus says I, he rescues people from the domain of darkness and transfers them to the kingdom of his beloved son. Jesus talked often about the kingdom. He says the kingdom has come. He rose from the dead, spent 40 days talking about the kingdom. Jesus used military language. But it wasn't earthly like we often want to think. He wasn't going to do it with an army. He was going to do it spiritually. And soon he will come back and he will reign physically. But we're not at that point yet. But as I looked at Jesus and what he said, that that he is going to build his church, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So why would we be afraid to charge the hill? Because Jesus already said he's going to win the battle. Jesus already won the battle on the cross. But now we're in that in-between stage until the kingdom is, is fully realized. So look at Acts one, here's, here's the context. These disciples had been following Jesus around for three years. They'd seen him heal the sick, they'd seen him raise the dead, awesome things. They'd heard him talk mainly about the kingdom. He talked a lot about the kingdom. Read in Matthew, you know, the kingdom of God is like. You know, he didn't really talk about the church much, he talked about the kingdom. And so they had this picture that Jesus was gonna set up his reign and rule and they were getting excited for it. So. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and and the the army comes to arrest him. Peter draws his sword. He says, It's time, let's go. He cuts off somebody's ear. Jesus says, No, we're not doing it that way. Puts the ear back on. Jesus is killed. What do they do? They all flee, they all run and hide. So they're all excited about the kingdom. Yeah, the kingdom is coming, let's do this. Oh, Jesus is arrested, run. Then Jesus is killed. What would you be thinking? If your savior was just killed, the leader of your movement was just killed. Movement over, right? Then he rose from the dead. Movement back on. This is great. (laughs) And so for 40 days, he's hanging out with them, telling them about the kingdom. The movement is back on because Jesus is back alive. And so that's where we pick it up. Jesus has been casting this amazing vision of what he was gonna do, this worldwide thing, this kingdom thing. And here they are in his last moments with them. And they ask him the question in Acts 1, 6. When they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So you see what's on their mind. Is it time? Are we doing this? He said to him, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. But then he shares this amazing vision of what he's going to do. He says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Look at this. They're there with Jesus. He's alive. Movement's back on. They say, is it time? Are you doing it now? And he says, that's none of your business. But you're going to receive power. And here's how it's going to happen, though. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He he cast a picture. If you read the rest of the book of Acts, it follows that pattern of where the gospel moved. But he said, here's what's going to happen. He told them what great things he was going to do. Then he left. Then he left. Have you ever thought about that? I'm not sure they expected this to happen. In fact, I'm pretty sure they did not expect this to happen because what did they do? They just stood there. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then he started floating. Think about that. He started floating, and he just rose up into heaven. And what did they do? That's what the verse says. They gazed. They stood gazing. They just stood there. For how long, we don't know. But Jesus had to get up there and look down, and they're still standing there. And so he grabs the two angels standing nearby and says, go down there and tell them to get moving. Because they're standing there gazing, and now two angels appear. Now, here's my mind. I think God's got to have a sense of humor. Just look next to you. God's got to have a sense of humor. The angels had to come down, and I just pictured them doing this too. Like, what are we looking at? <laughs> Until they noticed these angels in dazzling clothes standing next to them. They say, he's going to come the same way he left. Get moving. Go do what he told you. And here's, I think, the first principle that we need to understand when God moves. It's this. When God moves, he moves through his people, not around them. When God moves, he moves through his people, not around them. This command, you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. and You will be my witnesses. And he had given them instructions. You go wait. In verse 4, Acts 1, 4. Uh, He says, he ordered them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promised father, the the promise from the father, which you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He says, it's going to happen, but it's going to happen through you. And this is one of those things that we struggle with. In all honesty, this is one of the things I struggle with. God is so much greater than me. He doesn't need me. That's a fact. But for some reason, God chooses to work through his people, to work through his church, not around them. It says, you will receive power, power to be a witness. And the angels appear. And here's one of the things that stuck out to me. What did they, why did they hang out there? Why did they stay? They wanted to be with Jesus, didn't they? They wanted to be where Jesus was. And we see this, you know, earlier in the gospels where they're hanging out with Jesus and Jesus says, I have to go. They're like, we want to come. Where are you going? We'll go. Wherever you go, we want to be where you're at. They wanted to be with him. And so this shook things a little bit as he moved on, as he floated up. I don't think they fully understand, understood his promise, the promise he gave them that he would be with them, that he would send the Holy Spirit. Remember the great commission, the great commission we see at the end of Matthew. And Jesus says to them, All authority has been given to me. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I will be with you to the end of the age. He begins it with, I have the authority. Then he says, go be my witnesses. Go teach. Go tell people about me. Teach them about me. Everything I've commanded you to obey, you teach them to obey. And then at the end, he says, and I'm going to go with you. He promises presence with his people as they go in obedience to his commission. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. Then he left. Jesus continues that mission in and through his church, but it's still him. This is one of the things that I've struggled understanding in my life. It's still him. When he's working through you and me, it's still him. It's not us and our creativity, it's not us and our ingenious arguments or anything like that. But when God moves, this is the second thing we see here his people go with the power. And the presence of God. We can't miss this. When, people, when his people go, when God moves, his people go. They don't just sit. They go back to Jerusalem. They move. But they go with his power in his presence. How often have we tried to run ahead of Jesus? Maybe we get a vision for something and we just run off ahead of him. Maybe I'm the only one that's ever done that. But we go with Jesus. Jesus goes with us with his power, his presence, not our power. The church has gotten so good at doing services that we can gather for years as a church without Jesus even being there. You know, as, as we've done this church planting stuff and we've gone to, to uh, well, you know, first seminary years ago and then go into all these trainings, a lot of the talk is about how to do church stuff. You know, how do you do groups? How do you do services and all this? And we need a little bit more. In fact, for many, I would argue, don't even go to seminary. Till maybe later in life, because you just learn strategies and things. I've heard of many people getting saved in seminary, which is weird. But, but what we need is we need to understand we need God's presence. This morning, before you guys came in, we pray every morning at 9.30. This morning, we prayed differently. We actually walked around and prayed over each seat. So, haha, we prayed over you. Because our dream is to see God move. Our dream is to see the Holy Spirit do what we can't do. And so it's going to take his presence. It's going to to take his power, not ours. The disciples wanted to be with Jesus. That's why they hung out there. They said, go. Remember, he promised he'll be with you. And they received power. We're going to see that coming up. They do receive the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But they, they move. They go on. You know, when God's people, when God moves his people, experience his presence and his power and lives are changed. Somewhat more on that next week. But I want us to, to get this point. If, you've, if you're familiar with Moses, you know, and a lot of us are maybe just somewhat familiar with the story with Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt. And they go on, and, and the Israelites do lots of dumb things. Um, we can probably relate. But they do, you know, they set up this golden calf, and they just do all these things, just trying to test the Lord. And at one point, God says, You know what? You guys go, but I'm not going with you. He says, Moses, move on, but go. And Moses said, No. Picture that, saying no to God. Moses says, you know what, God? I'd rather we just stay here with you. We don't really want to go unless you go with us. So will you please promise to go with us? And God said, okay, I'll go with you. So then they went. Beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. We need the presence of God. We need Jesus to be with us in his power. Ryan Ashley uh, He's our missionary to Ireland that we support and he was here a couple weeks ago and we were talking And it was interesting just talking about the way God moves the way God does things the way God orchestrates uh, The way he can be present He was telling me it was a couple years ago when he was first there in Ireland They'd been there a few months and he just said he was discouraged He was discouraged that he couldn't break into the, the the music scene the way he wanted to he you know They wouldn't even let him lead worship at his own church and so he was just kind of frustrated And somebody called and said, hey, there's a concert. If you want to go to it, come, you know. And so he goes to this concert. And and the opening act was was this girl and her band. And and she played. And and it was pretty good. And he just remembers sitting there watching this and thinking, God, what are you doing? What are are you moving? He wasn't trying to fabricate something like we often try and do. We can't fabricate a movement. That's my point of this story. We can't fabricate a movement. But we can be ready should God choose to move. He's sitting there praying, wondering what God is going to do. Flip forward a year. Flip forward to about a month, two months ago. They started this music night on Wednesday nights where they would practice for worship for Sunday, but it's open to anybody just to come and hang out. Well, one day, two months ago or so, somebody comes in, they bring a friend, they bring this girl, and she comes in. And she's open to spiritual things. She's wondering what God is doing. And they get to talking, and one of them says, oh, yeah, she has a CD. He's like, she has a CD, she's been recorded. Well, awesome, you know, oh, I actually have an old copy. And she goes, and she pulls it out, and she shows it to him, and Ryan goes, I've seen you. It says, you were the one that opened for so-and-so a year and a half ago. <laughs> you were there? There wasn't that many people? You were there? And it's just this picture that God moves, that Ryan was there seeking what God would do, and she was right there on the stage. A year and a half later, she waltzes into his house or into their gathering. Who knows what God is doing? But God does move. And so I want us to understand he moves. Are we ready? Are we willing to be part of what he wants to do? but we can't fabricate it. But what we can do, we can't manipulate God, but what we can do is we can set the stage. I was listening to a a podcast uh, where Timothy Keller was talking about revivals and movements. Thank you for that, Alex. That was a good one. Um, But I was listening to this, and he he quoted Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I thought this was really good. He says this, In the Bible, you build an altar, then you ask God to send down the fire. He's not going to send down the fire unless you build the altar. Seek revival by building the altar. It's up to God as to what degree he will empower it. You get that? So God gets all the credit for the movement, but we need to build the altar, build the stage so we're ready. Should he choose to send down the fire, we're we're kindled. We're we're ready. This is one of the things that we've kind of added you know, to our organizational stuff at Common Ground, but that we desire to create environments where people can meet with God in a life-changing way, where people can meet with God. We don't want people to walk out of here going, man, that music was awesome, although it is. Um, We don't want people walking out and going, man, that's just a great sermon, or man, just the people are really nice. The win is when somebody walks out and goes, I met with God. I experienced God. Some months ago, there was a, a pastor who was just leaving town, he had been serving here in this community for a while and, and God had moved him out. And his last Sunday, he decided to, to come here and hang out. And after the service, we were sitting up here and I prayed with them and, and he said, that's the first time I've experienced God in eight months. He said, I just, he didn't say the sermon was great. He didn't say, man, that worship guy's awesome. He's so clever. You know, he, he didn't say any, the info booth person, man, they just know stuff. <laughs> he said, I experienced, well, that's what you do at the info. you know stuff. Um, he said he said I experienced God and it was uh, that's the win that's the win and you can't fabricate that nobody gets credit for that but God chooses to move God chooses to move and so that's our goal is that we will be a place that God can move that God can move and with that we have if you were have been around groups if you've been in a group you've probably heard this we've we've decided we're setting kind of this new vision for common ground That by the year 2025, we want to be involved with 25 churches. By involved, that means planting churches. That means partnering with churches on mission. Uh, That means, you know, maybe giving to other church plants, whatever it is, or, or church revitalization. But we want to see Carson City, Carson Valley Church, and we know we can't do it. We know it's gonna take a movement of God and it's gonna take many churches and we wanna partner with many churches. And so we set this goal, this dream, that we would be involved with 25 churches by 2025, asking God that 25% of our community would be churched. We're at 7 to 10% now. Is that big? Is that audacious? For something like that to happen, it's not us. God would have to do that. Many churches would have to come around and God would have to do that but we want to see God move. And so that's why we're setting this to go, okay, now what do we need to do to be ready for God to do something like this? Because I think he wants to move. I see it in some of you. I see it in some other churches in town that I, that I talk to. God wants to move, and he's setting the stage for it. But let's look at one more thing. Look back at this passage. So we saw there that when God moves, his people, he moves through his people, not around them, and his people go in His power, in His presence. But where do they go? Look at this. Verse 4, He told them to not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise. And then in verse 8, He says, You will receive power. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Where did they go back to? Look at verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. They went back to Jerusalem. Remember I told you Peter just cut somebody's ear off there about 40 days before? They weren't liked in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was where their Lord was just murdered. And Jerusalem was where all the Jewish leaders had organized against them, and the Romans went along with it. The Roman leader was like, fine, just let's be done with this uprisal. So they were going back. There was no love lost in Jerusalem. And then where were they supposed to go? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Then where? Judea. Then where? Samaria. They hated the Samaritans. They did. The Samaritans were dogs. They called them dogs. The Samaritans were just north of Judea. But he said, you're going to go there next. So you're going to go where they hate you and want to kill you. Then you're going to go to people you hate, and maybe you'd like to see them dead. When, When God moves, his people are willing to sacrifice. When God moves, his people are willing to do something other than just be comfortable. To get dangerous. By the way, the disciples were all killed. All except for maybe John. John might have died of old age. The rest were were all brutally murdered. When God moves, his people are willing to sacrifice. To get uncomfortable. As you read through Acts, you see what happens. As you read through the epistles... Uh, the New Testament books that are written, you see what God's people are doing. You see uh, Paul writing to the Philippian church and he says, you guys gave and you gave beyond your means. You gave more than you were able to to give. People were sacrificing their their well-being for the sake of others. You see the disciples beaten and rejoicing for it. You see Paul put in prison with others and they sing hymns of praise while in the prison this is what happens. God's people suffer and they do it joyfully. It's not like this. Oh, God wants me to suffer for it. They're joyfully going because it's about him, not about them. Beautiful picture, beautiful picture. But when God's moved, his people are willing to sacrifice. We can't get around that. That's why one of, one of our values here, one of the things we talk about here all the time is it's not about me, that we need to. I, I need to get past my own wants and desires and make it about God, what God wants. Because there's things I like. There's things I want. I like hymns. I like Christmas songs. I, you know, but, but we have to get past ourselves a little bit. I don't like sitting in the front so much. I'd rather sit in the back. <laughs> but just, just, it's not about me. It's not about me. And when God moves, his people get that. It's not about me. It's not about my secondary theology that I think is really important and create divisions. You don't see that In the New Testament, all these divisions over secondary things. When is Jesus returning? Before or after the tribulation? I don't know. Well, we can't fellowship unless we get that figured out. (laughs) But when God moves, it's not about me. And then we see one other thing. When God moves, his people get desperate. When God moves, his people get desperate. And here's what I mean by that. First, you see their heart wants what God wants. Their heart is desperate for him to move. Their heart is desperate for the presence of Jesus. But that leads them to an action. A a desperate heart leads you to do something, an act of desperation. And that's what we see next. We see that when the disciples returned to Jerusalem, after this big vision, right? God said, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, places you've never even heard of. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be big. Here we go. What did they do first when they got back to Jerusalem? Mine says they got together, and they defined their mission statement and their values. Is that what yours says? Mine says they, uh, they did a demographic study of their community to see where they could best plant a church. That's not what mine says either. Mine says they wanted to decide are they going to be Calvinist or Arminian? And they needed that one. Or they needed to set up their 501c3 so they could be tax deductible. <laughs> what did they do? They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. This is verse 12, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. The group was probably about 120 people. You see that in verse 15. But what's the first thing they did? They went and they prayed. They went and they prayed. A lot of people talk about they were in that room because they were afraid and they were hiding. Maybe they were afraid some, but they were doing the right thing. The first thing they did was they went and they got on their knees. They went and they prayed. God says, I'm going to do big things. They believed it. They prayed. The act of desperation is prayer. When do you pray the most? When you're desperate, right? When you're desperate. So let's get desperate. I had somebody tell me about a city that they drove through, early 80s. He drove through the city and realized there was no church in that city that was teaching the true gospel, and he cried for the people of that city. I'm like, man, what a wuss. <laughs> I wish I was like that. <laughs> I wish I, I remember just sitting there listening to him going... I want that kind of heart, that heart of desperation for God to move, that heart to see God drawn toward Jesus, that heart of desperation that then leads to prayer. This man moved to prayer and then he ended up going back there and planting a church. But when God moves, his people get desperate. For some reason, God in his sovereignty has chosen to limit his activities to the prayers of his people. God moves through his people, not around them. I don't get this. I struggle with this idea. I'll be honest with you. God doesn't need us, so he can move. But yet he chooses to move through his people. I don't know why. Does that mean some things might not happen if we don't go to prayer? Maybe. It kind of looks like that. Maybe. Study revival. As I've been preparing this, I've been studying revival some. Every single time, it starts with prayer. No matter how big the movement, every single time it starts with prayer. It might be just one person, one name you've never heard of, but it always starts with people going to God in humility and asking him to move. Jeremiah Landfear, one man, he decided he was going to pray. No big elaborate thing, no awesome sermons, no great light display. They just got together and prayed and God moved. And one million out of 30 million were saved. What if God chose to move that way? What if our kids? What if our kids saw God move in such a way that the cell phone was boring? Yeah, good luck with that, I guess. But but I was reading. I was reading. am reading a great book. Um, James Cimbala, I think is his name. But the intro was by Ro, or uh, what's his name? I like him a lot. He's cool. I don't remember his name. Anyway. But he was writing about church. He said, you know, church is often so boring. He said, but if you experience God moving, I mean, just look in the New Testament, God, was that boring? He said, whenever the Holy Spirit was present and moving, the people weren't bored. So if we're all bored as Christians, does that mean the Holy Spirit's not among us? And as I read that, I went, ooh, you know, there's there's an aspect where the Holy Spirit is with us, but do we want him to move? Do we let him move through us? And the people wanted to be present with Jesus. What if if I told you Jesus was going to be here next Sunday? You'd probably come. (laughs) And how many people would you bring? Morgan would come. You'd bring at least two? (laughs) How many people would you bring? Guess what? Jesus is here. God is here. The Holy Spirit is here. And he's going to be here next week. And he's going to be here the week after that. And he wants to move through us. Are we available? Are we ready for him to move? As you read through Acts, there's 26 chapters, 29 times it refers to his people praying. That's a big deal. So here's our our takeaway today. You had one of these on your seats. We want to see God move. We're desperate for God to move. But we need to start with prayer. And so here's what we would ask you. Take this, and on the back is a prayer written out. Put this in your Bible, put this in your pocket, put it behind your ear and pray this every day or a version of it. There's, there's no magic words in, in these, this prayer, but pray it. Let this get to your heart of what God would do in you, in your family, in your church, in your city, in your state, in your country. Just moving out. God wants to move. So let's go to him in prayer and let's ask him. So how many, let's, let's count. How many people are gonna be praying this this week? God's people going to him in prayer, asking for the same thing. Because what do you see in those verses? When they went to pray, how did they pray? With one mind. They prayed in one accord. They weren't divided by their own ideas, passions, doctrines. They were praying with one mind, united, wanting God to do the same thing. Move, move, empower them for his glory. That's what we need to do. Together with one mind, together, praying for God to move. And if you feel so up to it, come next Sunday at 9.30, because every Sunday, 9.30, we pray together as a service. Come pray with us, and we'll see what God is going to do. We're going to pray for God to move. And as we continue this series, it's Christmas. Guess what? I read a study this week that six out of 10 people that don't attend church on Christmas, if they were asked, would. And that percentage goes up, according to Paul, an expert, Paul Ingram. Uh, he read something that said, if they're invited and accompanied, almost everyone you ask will come. So we want to see God move. Are we willing to invite, put ourselves out there, invite somebody? It's, it's Christmas. It's Christmas. Low pressure, low impact. I'm not going to scare them away, I hope. But let's pray that God will move. Now, we're going we're gonna to move into a, a time of worship, of singing, and of communion. If you, you look up here, you see we have our, the Lord's Supper. We've been taking it this way for a while, that we would, uh, as we begin singing as our first song, that we'll get up and we'll come down these aisles, um, grab the cup, grab the bread, and then find a spot in the room and, and pray, go back to your seat and pray, grab somebody and pray. But this is a time to respond, because as we've looked here, that Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail. How does he win that battle? He won it on the cross for us. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. The good news is that Jesus, through his blood, through his body, has reconciled the world to himself. All we do in response is faith. And so now we're going to take the Lord's Supper, because Jesus instituted this at his last supper, where he said, do this in remembrance of me. Until I come again, and here we saw Jesus leave, and he's coming back the same way he went. But the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. In our group this week, we were talking about last Sunday's message uh, and the the passage we looked at, and one of the people in our group said, you know what? I never realized that our list of sins, as long as it might be, isn't just poof, disappeared. You know, maybe we've wondered, why couldn't God just go, eh, forgiven? Because he's not only good, he's also just, and so our, our list of sins had to be paid for. It's a debt that had to be paid, not just ignored. And the passage we looked at yesterday is that our debt was rolled up in a scroll and nailed to the cross. It's nailed to the cross. So it's gone. He won't bring it up again because he dealt with it. And so that's what we're celebrating with the Lord's Supper. So take a few minutes as we do this. As we begin with with song, as we begin with music, take a few minutes. Pray. Ask God to show you where your heart might need to change. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ... If you've never said, I want to be all in with him, I I believe that he is the son of God, that he died on the cross for me and rose again. Now's the time to do that. I'm going to be over here by this awesome Christmas tree. Grab me. We'll pray together. If you don't know what it means to be saved, grab me. Let's talk about it. But this is a time for us to worship, to remember what Jesus did. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, uh, will you please move? Please move through us. Please move through all the Christians in this community. Please move through all the gospel-believing, preaching churches in this community. Move for your glory. Move so people witness you, so people have their lives changed, addictions broken, hurting, healed, relationships that are falling apart, that you would bring those back together, that you would fix them, and most of all, that you you would give eternal life to many more that we would see you move, that we would experience life, life abundantly in and through you. We take the Lord's Supper as you have commanded us to, remembering Jesus that on the cross you said it is finished. And so now our lives are lived out in response. We know we don't have to earn anything with you because you did it all. But now we respond in love and thankfulness. Be glorified as we worship. Be glorified this month. I pray that this month, this Christmas season, you would draw many to you in a unique way. Holy Spirit, move. In Jesus' name, amen.